everybody, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Finance, a podcast by Financial Friends. I want to say welcome back this week. It has been a wild week of earnings. Um, some exciting news coming up regarding some of the bigger companies out there, Amazon, Disney, Ford. Um, a little story on Bitcoin as well as some touching on inflation and some other stories as well. So I hope you are excited for this episode. I know that I am. And before we jump into things, I do want to mention... If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead, hit that like button down below. It helps push this uh, you know, show to more people, which is really what I'm looking to do is just touch as many people and spread as much news and information as I can. So that'd be greatly appreciated. And if you're watching or listening rather on um, a podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, any of those, definitely consider coming over to YouTube giving me a watch over on YouTube. I would greatly appreciate you know that. I'm really trying to grow this YouTube channel. So with all of that out of the way, this episode of This Week in Finance is sponsored by Zencaster. So Zencaster is a fantastic tool that allows you to record podcasts with ease. A little bit more will be talked about on that later, so make sure to go ahead and stay tuned. Now, first story here, a big one, Amazon soars um, on a big cloud revenue beat from Amazon Web Services. And obviously here you can see their adjusted earnings per share, $5.80 versus that $3.57 expected. Small little miss here on revenue, not a huge deal. And then Amazon Web Service revenue, again, a pretty good sized beat there <laughs> considering we're talking um, millions of dollars. So what do I care about Amazon? Um, you know, big 40% growth rate here. The company is continuing to grow. The company is continuing to find new ways to touch every single citizen here in the United States, but also outside of the United States as well. Um, it, shares were up 14% in extended trading. Now that does kind of touch on um, this insane volatility and craziness we've been seeing lately. I mean, the jumps and the spikes, the dips, the lefts, the rights, the twists, the turns. Uh, Snapchat was up 53-some percent at one point. Then you had uh, Meta was down 20-some percent. You have people saying the company's over. You have people saying that this is it. This is the bottom. It's never going to go low. I mean, there's a ton of crazy stuff going on in the market, especially with you know all this news coming out about inflation. Just today, Thursday, February 10th, I mean, the market was down. And then it was, you know, it was down on the inflation reading, and then it was back up green again, and then it was down again. It just, it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy last few weeks, really, ever since this series started. Now, there is something I want to touch on. I was just reading Invent and Wander. Um, it's like the collected writings of uh, Jeff Bezos. You can go ahead and find that. Uh, there's going to be a link down below. It'll be for Amazon, obviously. It'll be Amazon Associates. So if you do purchase the book, it helps me out a bit. Um, but they mentioned in 2018, they mentioned this fact that I don't necessarily think has hit me before. So it was 2018 shareholder letter. So basically, you know, writing it towards, you know, the beginning of 2019, 10% of retail purchase of all retail. So 90% was brick and mortar. 10% was online retail. 10% of commerce was done online. Only 10 and now I have a stat here, Q4 of 2020. So obviously this isn't super, super recent. Only 14% of e-commerce sales were online. 
that was like peak of the illness. Peak scaring or, you know, fear, I guess I should say. What? That is, what? Only 14%? I mean, I would have probably said at least 25%. If I'm being 100% honest with you, I probably would have said more like 50%. I don't really go shopping in person anymore. I mean, you just hear constantly about malls doing worse and, you know, all these other businesses, brick and mortar locations having to close down, rents too high, you know, tech, 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 all these new companies, startups, all this. I would have said it would have been much more that was being done online if it, you know, if I'm being quite honest, but I I guess I'm wrong. I mean, obviously I'm wrong. So this just tells me, and this is from the words of Jeff Bezos, it's still day one for Amazon still the beginning. There's still room for forward growth. Now, they have employed basically every human being um, in the country. And at one point, they actually were running out of new people to employ. Um, But that's a story for a whole nother day. (laughs) So next, we have Peloton stock. Now, if you've been in the markets at all over about the past two weeks, you will have heard about Peloton. So let's take a look at the chart real quick first, right? All right, here we go. So this is 2019, you know, 22, 27, 36 some dollars a share, right? And then we get this run up and then you get the illness and you get even this boom, boom, boom. We're shooting up towards the end of October, $131 a share or towards the middle of October, 2020. Then we get a little bit of a dip here now. I'm not so sure as to what this was. I wasn't really involved in the markets too heavily at this point. Um, But my guess, and and correct me if I'm wrong down in the comment section below, but probably had something to do with, okay, we're going to be moving out of this soon. So the stock sells off. Maybe it was a bad earnings, whatever it was. Then the stock rallies around Christmas time. Again, probably some type of, you know, purchasing or preparing for the holiday season. Investors trying to get in the stock. And then it takes its dip about March. And then this is where I start to pay attention to it around April or so. Meet Kevin on YouTube. Um, He starts to talk about the stock a little bit as well. I get a little bit excited as an investor. And I make a purchase. I'm not 100%. Well, I have it right here. If we scroll down, uh, give me one moment here to go ahead and get to the bottom of all of these trades that I have made here on public. Huge shout out to public free stock down below in the description um, if you do join public. So you could see my purchases here. Don't mind some of them. I had no clue what I was doing all of the time. Um, but we have our purchase of Peloton here on April. Oh, I'm sorry. April 12th was my first purchase of Peloton. So if we go here and we can use this chart. We're looking at April 12th. So right in this range here, $118 or so, right? And and I'm buying up. Well, then we see this little dip. And this dip was as a result of the whole treadmill incidents with children being injured and such. Um, I felt that at the time, some of the news regarding their things were maybe like, you know, some users not being correct. Then more and more cases came out about this, you know, Peloton stuff being the issue that gets recalled, the stock drops more. Um, not a great time to be an investor in Peloton in terms of the future. You see a lot of recalls, a lot of other information. And then I sold off in here somewhere. We can go back to see where I sell off at. I sold the stock. It was about $113 a share right here. 
So July 14th is when I get out, and you can see here I sold at $113. So if we slide back, July 14th. I forgot the date, I was just there. So here is July 14th. So just before a small little run up that I could have you know, made a couple of bucks on, but not too long before we get towards the end of this year, when they announce that they are halting production because they have an oversupply. And so the stock gets destroyed, as we can see here, just a plummet downwards. And we've seen a bit of people, you know, start to buy in. Obviously, the stock's cheap at this point. Um, and you have this happening. Basically, that was a roundabout way to say Amazon and Nike reportedly are among buyers. I know Apple's name was thrown in there at one point as well. This makes sense for some of these companies. Amazon looking to build up an online, or I'm sorry, a, a health business, right? Even looking in terms of like healthcare in general. So this would kind of align a little bit with what they're trying to do. Nike being an athletics company, maybe they get their own line of stuff, reintegrate it, rebrand it, restructure the way, you know, at the tech works or the subscription model because they can afford to take some losses on stuff, maybe not make it as a premium of a product considering it sells for astronomical amounts of money and it's like a 50 or $40 a month subscription. It, you could tell that I'm not a huge fan of the business. Uh, I thought that I was going to be when news was coming out about them acquiring Precore. I was assuming that as we reopen, these would maybe be integrated into gyms. Well, I mean... Planet Fitness is not going to be buying up Pelotons. The membership's 10 bucks a month. <laughs> They're not going to be buying up these Peloton bikes. So I'm not quite sure what I was thinking. To be honest, I was following others. That's a bad move to make. And I was getting excited about something very quickly and buying in. But again, going back to these companies here, Amazon, it makes sense. Nike, it makes sense. Apple has a bit of a thing going on with their health business, really kind of focused and centered around the Apple Watch, as well as now their own kind of fitness realm that they're in in regards to videos and such so i think apple's probably not the best for this they have their own way of doing things um amazon and nike among potential buyers boosted the stock up am i buying into this no i don't really quite know where exactly peloton falls into things i had some sports analysts comparing them to the lakers the other day considering that the you know the lakers had their championship run i'm not saying this this is what the analyst said um artificially boosted by the fact that their more elder players like LeBron James and such were able to get a bit of rest before the bubble that they had formed and then eventually winning the championship. Regardless, you have a beaten down stock here that some bigger companies with dry powder, we've been talking about this a lot recently, might look to acquire. I don't know where this is going to go. I'm not necessarily sure that any of these companies need to acquire Peloton. I feel like it might be a little bit of a forced hand unless they can put together, you know, a good offer and they have a biz a plan for the business, then maybe I'm proven wrong. But for the time being, I will stick with saying that I don't necessarily think that they should do so. Now, moving forward, we have Ford. So, Ford is also suspending or cutting production um, at about eight of its factories due to chip shortages. Now, really what I want to talk about here is not so much this, but this could be a buying opportunity for some. Now, the stock was down a bit more. It's ran up a little bit. Um, it's around $18. I personally, and this was based on no fundamentals or technicals or anything, 
told myself that maybe if it dropped below 15 bucks, I would consider buying a little bit. I am excited for the future of Ford. My parents have both driven Ford cars you know, my entire life, really their entire adult lives as well. We've had great fortune or great luck with Ford. Um, basically, my whole entire family drives Ford vehicles. A ton of people that I know drive Ford vehicles. I'm from Michigan in the Detroit area, so it kind of just hits home with me a little bit, you know? Um, I enjoy this company, but where I'm extremely interested is the EV space. Now, you can also see that Ford is going to be making a brand new investment of $20 billion uh, for this EV push. And it's really led, you know, called Ford Plus, but it's really led by Apple and Tesla executives, which makes me pretty excited that these, you know, tech forward, tech focused type of people, obviously Tesla being the leader in electric vehicles, Apple just being a company that does things right. This is going to be very interesting. I've loved the Mach E. I've loved um, their other electric, you know, the the Lightning and some of their other cars that they're looking at, you know, turning electric. I think they're doing some very, very interesting things. So I don't know. I think that as the shift kind of naturally progresses, the one thing that's going to hold back Ford is going to be the electric charging network. I know Tesla has done a fantastic job of building out their charging network, and that's going to be the real competition. I also watched a Marquez Brownlee video where they used a Mach-E. There was another sort of like luxury electric vehicle and a Tesla. Obviously, the Tesla having the most options with charging, the chargers being the most reliable. Then you had these other two vehicles kind of lagging behind in this trip that they took just because, you know, they weren't able to find chargers. Some of the chargers were slow. Some of them weren't even working. So it's going to be a process. It's going to be a slow but steady process. But think of the legacy Ford users, the people like my parents who have used Ford vehicles all their life. Where do you think they're going to go when electric vehicles are the future or the current, which they're kind of becoming the current and kind of very quickly, they're going to go with Ford because Ford's what they know, Ford's what they have an attachment to, and Ford is really all they want to buy. They don't want to overcomplicate things. So I think that Ford might be a good investment. I think Ford is going to shock a lot of people along with some of the older legacy companies, potentially like General Motors um, and potentially some of the other companies. I'm I'm really bullish on Ford. I think that Ford is going to do this right. I think Ford has a massive part of the population. I know big companies like Toyota and such, they might be able to do things as well. But in my personal opinion, and that opinion is bias, I think that Ford will be able to do the EVs right and be successful with it because of the massive customer base they already have. So touching on a product that I do like, Let's go ahead and talk about this week's sponsor of This Week in Finance, Zencaster. So like I mentioned, Zencaster is an all-in-one, easy podcast experience. You can just send a link to a guest, they click on that link, they join the room, and boom. Now you can record video, you can record audio. Those two files are going to be saved separately, so that way you can only use audio file, you can only use video file, you have complete flexibility with that there. There also is a transcripting. So as you're speaking, it's typing that out for you. Fantastic. Um, I also wanted to mention that there's going to be a link below. That link below is going to be able to get you 30% off your first three months. So if you're interested in trying out the very easy to use and all-in-one podcasting service Zencaster, go ahead and check out that link down below. Let's continue on with 
this episode. I'm going to take another sip of my water. I've had a few people comment that I'm I'm noting that this is water, so you're welcome. This is for you. Cheers. All right. Big story. If you could see the screen, you'll already know. It's the pros of being here on YouTube, if you're joining me on YouTube. Frontier and Spirit, they're going to attempt to merge. Now, there has been some pushback with this, so we're waiting to see if this is going to be official, but as of coming out on Monday, February 7th, this would create the fifth largest U.S. airline company, a $6.6 billion deal. Um, these are the two budget airlines. Let's just be up front here. Spirit and Frontier, uh, right? I mean, we all do it. We all fly them because you search a Delta flight up, you search an American Airlines flight up. Let's say it's 300 bucks. Check Spirit. It's $200. <laughs> Check Frontier. It's 150 You know, so they're undercutting so much of the space. Now, I thought this graphic was pretty interesting because while they do undercut so much of the space, they make up a very small portion of it. And so by combining forces, you could see Spirit and Frontier, or Frontier here. Frontier, oh, didn't even know it was interactive. Learned something new every day. Frontier making up 3% of the market. Spirit making up 4% of the market. Um, you know, they're not even going to touch United making up 19, Delta making up 21%, and American Airlines making up 23%, or whatever the myriad of other um, airlines are making up 30. I know like Alaskan Airlines is in there, Southwest being in there as well. So I think these two combining to kind of rival these other flights could be a good thing. Um, it could also be now the one budget or the mega budget airline. Uh, you know, you're looking at Delta, you're looking at American Airlines. Well, your only option at this point is to fly whatever the heck the new name of this company will be or whichever one they adopt. You know, you might only have one budget option, which how does that work? Is that some type of monopolization of the airline industry? I don't know. You tell me down below. Um, you know, if the budget airline spirit frontier combination is the only cheap option offered, well, they can still be expensive. Let's pretend again, the $300 flight with Delta, say Delta, United, and American Airlines are all $300. Everyone else is relatively competitive, maybe like 275, 280. What's to say now that Frontier and Spirit can't just be like 250? You know, they're just below. A couple, you know, 25 bucks below, do the quick eye check, pick a flight, ah, boom, 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 done, you know. Now they're technically going to be making even more because they're not able to, they're not competing with each other. They're not having to undercut the other lower option and keep a very cheap option up on the board for many people. I don't know. Um, personally, and I, I noted here, I'm not a very uppity person. I'm not like fancy, but there is one thing that I kind of always will like splurge on and don't minding spend or don't mind spending the little extra bit of money and that's flying. Um, I prefer to be comfortable. I prefer to make sure that when I'm up in the air, I feel happy, feel safe, and I feel secure and everything about my experience because many flights make it exactly where they're supposed to be going. And so a lot of what you're paying for is that experience and comfortability factor. So that's kind of where I fall on that, but it will be interesting to see how this continues to unfold over time. So we'll continue to keep our eye on it. Another headline, Tesla, boom, $2 billion worth of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. 
at the end of the year. It's very interesting. I don't really have much to say about this. I'll be honest with you. Um, I just came across this article. There's really not even much to it. If you could see here, it's like five paragraphs. Um, but they have $2 billion for the Bitcoin. I think that's fantastic. You have a lot of companies like MicroStrategy um, and a few others, Block, which is Square, whatever they actually are now. Um, more on that later. But you have these companies you know, adding Bitcoin to their balance sheet. When this news came out, initially, Bitcoin just shot up. And I think it's a good move. I personally like it. Um, as someone who's younger, I'm going to be 20 years old here in nine days. Um, I think that Bitcoin is digital gold. I understand gold. I understand that it has value, but this might ruffle some feathers, but does it really? I mean, does any of this really have value? If you went back to the barter system, this t-shirt would probably be worth more than the computer right now because we just use computers to make money. But if we're just trading necessities, the computer's no necessity. So what's gold going to do me? I mean, am I going to make armor with it? Like, I'm just going to look at it, make jewelry, you know? I don't know. I and mean, I guess I'll get raged on in the comments down below if I'm completely off base here, but every value of everything ultimately is made up. Now, we live in a capitalistic society where things have certain values on them. We've moved forward in times. I understand. I understand why gold has value and I understand why Bitcoin has value and doesn't have value. And you know that you can think of anything in any way. You can come up with any argument that you potentially want on anything now because there's so much information available that we can fold it and manipulate the information to look any way we want. But I personally think Tesla, $2 billion for the Bitcoin at the end of 2021, I give it a good thumbs up. I own Bitcoin. I own Ethereum. I own some Cardano as well. Um, in full transparency, Doge and basic attention token on top of those. So again, two thumbs up. We'll go ahead and give it and let's move forward. You might recognize this gentleman. This is Meet Kevin and Peter Schiff. Now, I don't necessarily agree with what, if you've been following investing, I don't necessarily agree with what Meet Kevin's done. He has made a massive bet and he has sold all of his stocks, 90 or so percent of them. That's a big move. That's a bold move. He is attempting to, and he has came out and said this, he is attempting to time the market. Now, everyone's money is their own money. Everyone is allowed to do exactly with that money what they so choose. Personally, not what I do and not what I have done. However, they bring up a good point regarding inflation. Inflation, by the way, coming in at seven and a half percent. You can see that right here for the 12 months that were ending in January. I think this was a touch above what we had expected it to come in as. However, it's just coming in hot like this every month now. So seven and a half percent inflation, but Peter Schiff makes a good observation. And this isn't necessarily anything built on, um, at least in my brain, not built on like technicalities or the way that markets work, but it just makes sense logically. So I have it written down here. Let's say that we experience inflation. So the cost of whatever it takes to make said iPhone goes up. And so now Apple is say paying more money to produce the iPhone than they were a couple of months ago. 
So you now have Apple here sitting, producing a product that they're making less margin on. Their margin of profit has gotten slimmer on the iPhone. So they decide to not raise prices. Or you might have some companies actually taking heavy losses because it's costing them more to produce the product than they're able to sell it for. So they continue to do this over the course of whatever. And then finally, there becomes a point, an acceptable point, where they decide, all right, we're going to raise our prices. So the iPhone now costs more. Well, what happens when you raise the price of a product? Someone's not going to buy it now. There's going to be some person out there who will no longer buy the iPhone or buy you know, product X, whatever the product is. So now they lose customers. So not only have they raised prices, but now they're losing customers. They may be losing customers faster than the price you know, increase can make them money. So they're still kind of at the same point, losing money. So they'll just raise their prices again. Because at some point, they have a set amount of people that will continue to purchase that product. You know, people are going to have money. The money's going to be somewhere. People will continue to buy that product at the second price hike. And that's what these two gentlemen here think, and Peter Schiff in specifically thinks will continue to happen, that we're kind of experiencing only the beginning of inflation. And this is that first wave of price hikes. And then companies will realize, well, gosh, we've lost customers. Let's just raise the prices a little bit more and we'll continue to see higher inflation. I don't know. I think that logically that makes perfect sense. I don't necessarily think that anyone can disagree with that logic. Now, if you bring other factors into it, that's when you can start to make arguments, but based purely and, and you know, tunnel vision on those points, it does make sense. Now, do I agree with it? I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm still continuing to just watch markets, keep my money invested and continue to invest consistently. And so that's kind of where I'm at with all of this, but I guess we'll, we'll continue to find out. I mean, as a consumer, I hope that the inflation doesn't continue like that, but you never know. All right, moving forward, enough of inflation talk. Let's talk about Apple, the company I was just talking about. This thing will now be able to be a POS system. Yeah, this. This is a big step forward, I think, um, in terms of commerce in general. Apple announcing that you can tap your iPhone on another iPhone or whatever they can turn this into, um, and you'll be able to make purchases. And it'll also work with contactless credit cards. So, you know, whip your credit card out, boom, make a payment. This could be revolutionary. I mean, obviously, you see here, you know, them pointing out exactly what I did. Um, this turns it into a, a POS system, which is fantastic. Now, this is where I mentioned I was going to bring up Block because this is Square's business, right? I mean, Square is a payment processing system that allows, you know, beautiful little interfaces to be had. We use one in my school store. It's very intuitive as the user. Uh, you know, selling the product, and it's very intuitive for the consumer on the other side. You know, insert chip, swipe the card. You have the little screen. You could type in your email for a receipt, phone number for a receipt, um, sign up for awards directly on it. You have the nice screen that faces you that tells you everything you've purchased. You can sign on there with your card. It was great. You know, you have the little things back when the headphone jack was still a thing that plugged in for the swipe on the iPhone, which essentially turned this. You know, they 
Square was helping Apple turn their phones into POS systems. And now Apple said, ah, we don't, we don't need you anymore. So I find this interesting because in terms of millennials, something that I always said with, or millennials and Gen Z, and I always said this with Square, and I have a small position in Block or Square, we like things to be nice looking. We like Apple products, the nice sleek and simple and minimalistic you know, style of Apple products and premium products in general. And Square or Block, it hit that niche. You know, older people in general tend to not really care too much about what it looks like if it just works. Now, that's a stereotype. I'm not, you know, I'm not stereotyping everybody, but in general, Apple is the cream of the crop when it comes to this. And now they're stepping into Square's space, a space that Square once stepped into Apple with, allowing Apple devices to turn into, and again, turn into the POS systems, and Apple turns around, does it themselves, and potentially will do it better allowing Stripe to be the first payment operator and that it would also be integrated into Shopify's point-of-sale product. They're going to obviously accept Apple Pay, obviously, Visa, and all the you know other major cards, American Express, MasterCard, and Discover. This is fantastic. I think this will continue to push the services industry or the services that Apple does forward. I mean, that's where they make a ton of money and again, the big get bigger, better, and more competitive. Apple continuing to do it. I think this will be very interesting to watch, um, you know, moving on into the future, how the brick and mortar locations kind of use this if they do use this, how stores could innovate if every employee just had an iPhone. They're just walking registers. Imagine there's no like register checkout area. You just walk up to an employee tap the card on their phone, and you're good to walk out the door. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Next up, we have Disney. Again, the big companies. We'll touch on another big one here. Disney roars back as the company beats earnings expectations. They did it. $1.06 adjusted versus the $0.63 cents expected. $21.82 billion of revenue on the t- versus the $20.91 billion expected and smashed it, gaining about 12 million Disney Plus subscribers. That brings the total subscriptions to 129.8 million versus the 125.75 million that was expected. This is big for Disney. This is a step in the right direction. Obviously, the pandemic really weighed them down. I think that at one point, numbers became, or performance of the stock was basically directly correlated to whatever Disney Plus numbers came out. If Disney Plus hit, stock went up. Disney Plus, you know, disappointed, stock goes down. People weren't really weighing in too much on the parks. I think as parks started to grow again, um, you know, that section of the business, then people started to kind of care more about it. It just took that time. This is a long hold for me. I think that the fact that they made it through the struggle of the illness um, shows they have some type of resiliency. I don't think anyone doubted that, but when you take a business that is primarily focused on providing a real world experience, movies being shown in physical movie theaters, cruises, and they make it through the other side and created a business that thrived throughout that time, they were able to adapt and switch on the fly, there's something still there. 
there there's a storytelling capability with Disney that will always be there, but this innovation of, you know, keeping their feet on the gas kind of even while having to remove other things from the vehicle they somehow continue to move forward and and they're kind of catching back up to where they were they're not necessarily progressing massively right now but they're climbing out of the hole that they were in in terms of just you know general business you know just the way that they were doing business like i said everything focused on streaming and they're getting back into physical parks i will be visiting one very very soon so this is this is a step in the right direction. Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, and I've mentioned this before. I don't necessarily know how far streaming can go for companies. They continue to raise expectations on growth. They continue to have a I think it was like 230 million subscriber goal at some point, and I don't necessarily think they won't get there. I just think that there's so much competition in streaming right now. Now Disney's on the good side of it where they own like three major platforms, ESPN+, Hulu, as well as Disney+. Plus. But I, I just don't know. I think there's a ton of competition right now. I'll be interested to see how the space plays out, but I'm skeptical on long-term growth for streaming if there's no consolidation. I don't necessarily think consolidation is a good thing for consumers. I think that right now the landscape, albeit prices continue to rise on all these different platforms, which isn't good for consumers, but there's too many options. I mean, unless you just cut all cable, you're still going to be paying like a hundred something dollars a month to be on Peacock, Apple TV, Hulu, Disney Plus, um, HBO Max, Prime Video. I know I'm missing some. Paramount Plus. There, There's an extra one. So I don't know. I, I think there's too much going on right now for consumers to know what to do. And so numbers will continue to bounce around until some type of consolidation is had. And then you may be able to continue to do growth. I don't even think I mentioned Netflix and all that. Yeah, Netflix too. So we will see. I'm bullish on Disney. Not so sure about Disney Plus, but my guess is they're going to continue to grow. Um, That's just the way that these big platforms seem to do. We will see as time goes on. Yeah, last thing here. Um, This is not going to be political whatsoever, but Nancy Pelosi is, and this is directly from, let me go ahead and pull this up first. This was a Pelosi story um, from Morning Brew. It reads, Nancy Pelosi backed a stock trading ban in Congress. The House Speaker, who previously defended members of Congress being able to trade stocks, which she was a proponent of while she was destroying market expectations, or should I say what the per- what the market performed versus what she was doing, um, but after some heat from within the Democratic Party, which is the party she's a part of, she now seems to be wanting these restrictions and actually pushing for them to be extended to the Supreme Court along with the executive branch, which she's obviously, obviously, pardon, in the legislative branch. So she wants all three branches of government to be affected by this. There's nothing political here. I just find it ironic. No politics will be discussed on this channel at all, ever. It, this is finance content, but this is very interesting. Coming from someone who was involved in the market and was performing well 
in the market. Let's go ahead and blow this back up here. You can see Miss Pelosi's returns. Now, she does have a husband who is like a venture capitalist, so I feel like she has some good aid here. Um, but she also works in government, so regardless of what you think, you, you do have an advantage being that you create the laws that run the government. So she outperformed the stock market by 4.9% in 2019 by 14.3% in 2020 and it doesn't look like things are were happened well over the course of 2021 she actually underperformed the market by 15.5%. However, she did still post a 13.3% gain, excuse me. So I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I'm not too sure what to think about this. I'm not going to put my <clears throat> own stance out there. Wow. When it's winter and you're draining, don't try and do long form podcasts. It doesn't work well. But I'm not too sure where I sit with all of this, but I find it interesting. <laughs> I know I say that a ton. I find a lot of this stuff interesting. I think that obviously um, it's a little bit hypocritical, but that's kind of how politics is in general. And so when you know, the larger picture that you're trying to support is not necessarily supporting you. Um, and you want to stay in your position. That's kind of what you have to do. This is politics. So that about does it for the episode. That was our last big story. I do want to again mention just before we wrap things up here that the link below um, does get you three months of 30% off Zencaster. You can also go to their website to check it out. It's going to be Z-E-N-C-S-T-R. No E's in there. So Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com to go ahead, check it out. Um, my own personal link, if you want to type that in, is zen.ai forward slash this week in finance zero, or just use that link that is down below. Go ahead and check out Zencaster. It's a fantastic tool to have in your repertoire if you are a content creator, podcaster, or really anything of that sort. So with all that being said, thank you for sticking with me through this long episode. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and hit that like button and also hit the subscription button with the little notification bell. That way you know every single time a new video is uploaded here to Financial Friends. This has been This Week in Finance, and I will catch you all next week.